This is the Fail Fast Podcast. Stories of entrepreneurs who looked at failure in the eyes and didn't give up. With your host, Quinn Amorum. Welcome to the show, my friends. Today we have with us Keja Robinson, a business strategist, coach, investor with over 15 years experience working with business owners, founders, and executive leadership, just like all of you listening. A recovered finance nerd, Keja is passionate about leveraging capitalism as a force for good. Welcome to the show, Keja. How's it going? Good. Thanks so much for having me. So how's it going? You're staying safe with, uh, with COVID-19? I have not caused uh, bodily harm to myself or anyone else in my household, so I think we're doing okay. Beautiful. So what has changed for you over the last recent months? The biggest thing for me is that I'm an in-room uh, person. If I think just about the, the process, just about my, my work processes, I'm a big a whiteboarder going mm. to visit the client. Um, and so I've really had to adapt to how that I work with people and to not being in these larger rooms, to not having all of these props to a certain extent and to really kind of getting deeper and getting back into the one-to-one connection um, and really working uh, a lot on sort of mission, vision, values, goals, um, and a little bit less on the tactical, strategic stuff. Um, so it's it's been a, that's been an interesting change for me, just in terms of process. There's obviously uh, a lot of change that I've gone through, just in terms of understanding how much I enjoy individually interacting with other people physically. We sometimes forget that, and uh, that's been really hard for me. Even though I do live in uh, in an urban environment, and I am able to from six feet away see other people. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just, I know I, I've been very stunned at how much I, that ambient energy of being around other people, how important that was to me. You know, something I learned about people that like using whiteboards in, during presentations. Mm-hmm. Normally people like that, because I'm one of them. And that's why I learned that. They speak a lot better when they're standing up. Did you ever experience that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I feel like when I'm sitting down, and sometimes I do, I have another podcast uh, that there's no video, nothing, and it's just me sometimes. And I do it standing up just so I can be more fluent. And I don't know how or why that happens. But um, somebody told me uh, that kind of people are the ones that like doing whiteboard presentations and writing things. And so, Kinesthetic learners a lot of times. So the writing helps you bring the information out. I also talk with my hands a lot, which I had not realized if you're either for those of you who are watching on the video, you'll see and I've had to kind of master how to keep if I'm going to talk with them how to use them in the right direction. So if I'm saying we're going and to keep mm-hmm. them within the frame. And these are all these things that we don't think about when we're in. Um, we're not, we're just not aware of them when we're when we're in, an, in a normal physical one on one environment. Yeah, it's very funny you say that because people uh, mentioned that about me. And I also always thought it was because I, I lived in Europe for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And speaking with your hands and moving your arms is something that I've I, I seen everybody does. Uh, so I figured it was something that I, I just grew up with. And, mm-hmm. But sometimes that, that happens. You're saying something and your hands are doing the gesture that does... Mm-hmm. Maybe the opposite meaning. You're saying we're growing, but your hand is going down. So yeah, it's crazy. All that double signaling and some of the organizational coaching, which I'm trained in, they they call it sending you know double signals, and and that can be it's as a coach one of the things that you can it's hard to pick up on in the room. You're looking at the whiteboard or somebody's doing this, and that's something about this really intimate experience of being on Zoom or even being on the phone is you can hear 
Uh, sometimes even if you can't see someone, you can really hear a double signal. And if you were present with them in a room, you might not notice it because there's so much other information coming in, sensory information coming in. So there's a lot of really fascinating things that we are all learning about ourselves right now. Um, mm. And and that's something that is painful as this is. It's one of the reasons why um, I'm really looking into this as as an opportunity to really reset and and learn more about myself and improve my craft, become a much better coach. And, and I'm kind of encouraging as I work with my clients for them to find the ways that they can also look through this period, including some people who work in the restaurant business and things like that. So my clients are, are really have had their lives, their business lives kind of ripped out from under them. But how do you move forward? How do you vi create vision? How do you kind of actually adapt to an environment like this? Uh, it's, it's very exciting. Yeah. So one of the cool things about coaches is that uh, most coaches have had their own failures. Not only that, but they also have to deal with uh, their customers' failures, right? Because mm -hmm. some people uh, that fail develop a fear of trying the same thing again, mm -hmm. right? So you have to deal with that. And, and at the same time, of course, your own. So are you the type that you just embrace it and learn from it? Or does it affect you for a long time? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm not, I would love to say that I can just shake things off. I'm not, I'm a sensitive person. And I carry a lot of times the things that I will remember from the past. I've gotten a lot better, but I'll remember, remember negatives. Remember times somebody yelled at us, the time we messed something up. We don't remember all the times we did something great. Um, or somebody, or, or we were celebrated, or somebody told us how wonderful we were. We can remember the one time when we were in fifth grade, and the teacher mm -hmm. told we got something wrong. You know, we remember these sort of negative things, and so part of the process of understanding when you had a quote unquote failure is to really kind of get into what were the mechanics of it, and to think about what what you can learn about yourself. The biggest one that I always come back to that it was experience for me. And I, I have for most of my clients who've had this, I, I call it the, um, so say you're an epic failure, not an epic failure, right? You know, like I had terrible performance at my, my last corporate job. Like if I, it would not be possible for me to have done that badly if I were trying to do badly, right? It was like worse than that. And part of it was that I really didn't want to be there. I was really depressed. The job was not a good fit. The people were actually quite lovely and they tried very hard to, and they liked me and they tried very hard to help me, but it was a terrible fit with the work. And I was just really miserable sitting alone in my office doing these with my spreadsheets, writing these very long research reports, terrible fit for me. And yet it's very hard to walk away. So I just kind of failed at a larger and larger scale until finally they let me go. And I look at that. I've had other clients come in and it's like, go you. I mean, like it takes work to fail that hard. Like you really don't want this. The universe, I call it the love tap. Like the universe is like, it starts with a little nudge. And if you keep persisting, because persistence is a good quality, but you keep persisting for a goal that you don't really want, eventually you get a smack upside the head. And that can be something to kind of, when you re, you turn around and you go, oh yeah, I didn't really want that thing. So I was succeeding at failing because that was the only way I was going to stop pursuing this goal that I didn't want. We can, with most of my clients and with myself and friends and family, you can look at it. You can actually take those biggest failures, quote unquote failures in your life. And you realize that it was that you were pursuing something you really didn't want. And you were so determined that for it, that like 
the universe had to conspire against you to get you to stop trying. I know, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. And I always thought, I don't know if I'm very persistent or stubborn because for years I chased something that I didn't want and I knew I didn't want it, but still. So is that really persistency or stubbornness? Well, they're the two, those like every plus, it's always two sides of the same coin. So persistence is a great quality. Do are people who are highly persistent all also often stubborn? Yes, they go together. And that's why it's so important to really want the things you're going for to really have meaning. I mean, I really believe in meaningful work, sort of something the mission that I have is to like bring that to the capitalist system, right? Bring meaningful work, value creation, uh, thinking beyond purpose beyond the self, and all of that, and really prove and help people understand that you can make money in that system, right? You can create value at a really large scale and make money at it. And so that's something that I look at, but you need persistence. So you want to be, you just want to be persistent about the right thing. And a lot of times we don't want to quit. We're not mm -hmm. quitters. And that's very American. I mean, you didn't, you're living in Canada and you didn't grow up here, but this idea, we're not quitters. And yet quitting is, if you're doing the wrong thing, you ought to quit. Like that's the right option is to get out of there because it's preventing you. If you can't, if you don't quit the thing you're pursuing, you can't start the other thing that you really want. Keisha, you mentioned the love tap. What is that again? A love, a love tap from the universe. So it's sort of a, it's like, you know, it's somebody when you knock your brother upside the head. I, I come from a big family. Mm. You'll be like, it wasn't, I didn't hit him. It was a love tap. So it's the same idea as, you know, the universe, like I really believe in that and that kind of metaphysical power. And the thing sometimes I tell people, I'm like, I'm a finance nerd and my undergrad degrees in physics. So when I start talking about the universe, you can't tell me that I'm just mumbo jumbo. Like I can, we can talk about a bunch of like actual physical things and we can get into the science, but to a certain extent, I really believe that, you know, the, there is this cosmic energy and you can call it whatever you want, but that it's, it's helping you. It's there to help you if you can tap into it. And part of the tapping into it is recognizing that when things are really going wrong for you, that there's information in that and stepping back and going, what is the information in this fail, this failing that I am experiencing? Okay. I love that. So the love tap, I'm going to have to use that as my own because that's, that's something uh, really, really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, so another thing is, uh, like you mentioned, I am the type of person that I believe everything I see and that science can prove. Mm -hmm. And yet again, when we talk about the universe, that's something I can't see. Science can't prove, but I also believe in that. How does that happen? So are, are we in the same wave here? Well, that's, that's the, the, you know, the theory around it and the, what science there is, is like that there's, we kind of vibrate on, on the same things. Um, and I, I'm kind of just a believer that like, there's some things that it's okay to have faith in because you need to have faith in something. And so you can have faith in science, right? But uh, if you're going to change yourself and you're going to change your business and change the world, which is always the goal that I yeah. have and that I, I hope for my clients and my clients for the most part have. Um, if you want those things, you have to believe that it's possible. So you got to believe in something. Step one is to believe it's possible. If you don't believe, no one, you, somebody was listening to someone the other day and they said, um, you rarely like uh, do better than you think you can do. It was something, it was much wittier and better, but this idea, you don't outperform your your, your self-image. I think it was, you can't outperform your self-image. So it's 
this is that idea. So I don't mind. I don't need to explain away all of the vibration or whatever we have going on. Cause I'm like, we got to take a few things on faith. Let's practice this one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just like there's one of the forces of the universe that it's the one that still nobody can see, but yet people mention, for example, you, you can't see gravity, but yet we know it exists, right? Yeah. Go on top of the building and, and test it. So can you tell me something? What are the most common uh, reasons you see that people fail? Well, uh, number one, as I said, is they just, they're going for something they don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next one is, is really big is the not asking for help. And I kind of say like my experience was, I remember when I got laid off that um, the, my director of research, I was in a, a research job and she said, you know, I know you've been working really hard. And I was thinking, I've not been working really hard. I'm depressed. I cry in my car because I, I had to stop listening to NPR. It's a little bit like now. I was like, when you get depressed, like everything sets you off. So I'm like, I'm crying in my car because people are dying somewhere. And this is then kids are starving. I mean, like whatever, all these trauma that exists in the world. So, And then I come up and then I go and get a coffee for like half an hour. Then I do that. Then I check my personal email. Like, I was actually not getting very much done, but the perception, because I wasn't asking for help, I wasn't sharing how upset I was, I wasn't sharing how poorly that things were going, that I was putting on a very good show. And I think that that's one of the things that happens, whether you're failing at something you really want, or you're failing at something you don't really want, is that we fail kind of, it's like suffering in silence, we fail in silence. Mm-hmm. And other people, and if you're good at, fa- you know, I was saying you're you're a functional and, and effective person, so you're good at putting on a show, and and other people not noticing that you're failing until the results come in, and the results are not what they're expecting. Yeah, absolutely, it's it's wearing the mask until that mask falls off. Do you have any kind of tips for these people that are? I was going to say suffering in silence, but it's failing in silence, although that can cause a lot of suffering mm-hmm. and internal uh, things that I don't even know how, what to call. But what, what are some of the tips? I think number one is to actually think about what you want. Not something that my coach has pushed me through and I'm, I do that with clients is like go and dream about it. What do you want? Um, there's some great, I mean, Barbara Sher, who's sort of OG and has from the, uh, I want to say from the 70s and 80s and 90s. And she's, she's, I think she's still around kicking somewhere. I think she's still alive, I hope. Um, but a lot of it was, she would say, go back to your dream from when you were a kid. What did you want to be when you were a kid? And pull out the pieces of that dream. So I really believe that when you're in there, you're failing in silence. You, the first thing is just to figure out, do you even want to succeed at this? Mm-hmm. Like you want to succeed, of course, but do you need to succeed at this? Because you're failing implicitly, failing at the thing that you really want if you aren't going for it. So that's the really, I think, the biggest step. And to be honest with yourself, if you want to have a family, you want to have, you want to live in Europe, you want to be the, run a giant company, like just be honest and start getting those things out there. And then you can look at what's most important to me right now. Then you can step back and go, how am I getting, who do I need on my team to get there? But you have a game plan as you start to go out and, and recruit help. And it also puts you in the mindset of you're like, wow, I'm robbing the world and myself of this, this success by pursuing this thing that I don't want. And if you're failing at something you do want, I mean, come on, go get some help. Like, do you really want it or not? If you really do want it, what's the big deal? You're going to get over it. And it's, it's, it's baby steps with clients. Obviously, you start... Well, let's get your mindset shifted. Why are you embarrassed to ask for help? A lot of times we're, we've been told, 
called pathological individualism. We've been told that we're supposed to be self-reliant. That's very American or even, you know, Mm -hmm. very Western. Do it on your own, individualist. And it puts you in a place where you're not able to ask for help, where where you don't see the power, right? It's very powerful to go out and ask for help. And we've gotten, we've built it up to be this thing like you're weak if you're asking for help. So a lot of times it'll be with someone is, and it, it can be hard to do with your own, but you can get a friend in to help you with it. There's great books, like I was saying, Barbara Shares is fantastic for this, is to go through and just practice asking for help a little bit, just with one thing, a small thing, and continuing to build that habit till you get to the point where you know how to ask for help and you feel comfortable. And you know, if uh, often, often people have that mentality that asking for help is, makes you be weaker because you're asking for help, but at the same time, uh, others don't see what we're going through. And I would say 90% of the times, if you don't ask for help, you're not going to get it because nobody knows that you want it or need it. Acacia, so uh, what have you learned from your own experiences of failing? Like what's okay. the best learning out of it? I mean, I think the best learning is just to share about it, is to, be, is to, is to flip it around and to look at it as an opportunity that you were, the rejection was protection, right? You were pursuing something that you did not want and, or you were pursuing it in the wrong way. And I think that's been the biggest thing for me is to kind of look at, okay, okay, these failures are a signal. There's information in here. Uh, It's kind of like if you're, you know, you throw a rock through a window. Okay. There was information out there. Mm. A rock was doing its thing and the window was doing its thing. And they were a bad fit. And and the breaking of the window is the signal to the rock that that was a bad idea, right? And the window is the bad idea of like letting the rock come at it. And we start to kind of get that sense of, okay, well, my pursuing this goal that was not the right goal? Or my continuing to repeat a pattern, like having a business partner where we don't communicate and then, and we, because I'm afraid that we're going to disagree on something, you know, like, and then of course I was like, but you'll eventually we'll have a massive fight, right? If you avoid awkward conversations, you're going to end up in a, in a fight. And that's something that often I see too, is that people don't learn to, Hey, what if I'd gone to my boss and said, I really am not happy. I didn't give them a chance to help me. So those are things. So you, you mentioned partners, which it, I mean, it could be great and it could be sometimes uh, it could be very bad for the business, depending on people's, uh, mindsets. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any partners? I do not right now. Um, though uh, my firm is named Cassia Partners. I'm always, I'm ever hopeful. But part of what I know for me is that um, alignment, goal alignment and vision is, I so said there's vision, mission, vision, values. And I'm like, well, mission is the direction you want to go in. Mm-hmm. And vision is the destination, right? And then values is, do you want to take the fastest route, the fewest transfers, the cheapest route, right? It's and you to really get in with a business partner, you, you need to be aligned on all those things. And a lot of times when people just get aligned on one, so they go, I like my business partner. We like to do business in the same way, but you're heading in different directions. Or we both want to go to this destination, but you want to go there for different reasons. And you're trying to, and you have a different way you want to get there. So a lot of it's just coming up front and, and not negotiating those things and being um, there's an avoidance of awkward conversations. I always say that people are just always trying to avoid an awkward conversation. I'm like, you'd rather have a difficult conversation than just have an awkward conversation right now. But we are, we're trying to be nice. We don't, and, and we want, don't want to be alone often. And that's something I see sometimes is you get business partners, almost like a codependent relationship. They, they want to be in business 
but they just don't want to, and they don't want to be alone. So they got in business together when they don't want to be in business with each other. They just didn't want to be alone. So they end up with a business that neither of them particularly cares for. And, and in this sort of dysfunctional relationship, and it's uh, and, and it can be hard because when you get into the, what do you really want? All of a sudden it's like, Oh, well, this, this isn't the, this business isn't the vehicle. What do we do? How do we treat this business fairly? How do we invest in it? How do we get new management? How do we sell it? How do we shut it down? If that's the appropriate thing, it, 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 it's a, it's a lot of work and it brings up a lot of topics, but ultimately you can free yourself from something you don't love and go forth and do work that you want to do. Yep. You know, I have, I had um, several partnerships and one of the most successful partnerships, not the business itself, the business itself wasn't even that successful. The partnership was, and it was because one of the partners said, uh, we are never going to BS each other and mm-hmm. I'm never going to tell you what you want to hear. Instead, I'm just going to tell you the truth and all the awkward conversations will happen the day that they need to happen. So we're not going to wait because uh, and, and it is so true because sometimes we want to be, be nice because our partner ends up being a friend yeah. for a while. And then you build up things that you don't want to say and you may lose the friendship because of what you think. Not because of the reality, because we yeah. make up things in our minds. Oh, yeah. So, I, I mean, if we can just, uh, like like my partner says, say things that the other one doesn't want to hear. Yeah. And then you don't build up. So, that I mean, that's the perfect one right there. And that's one of the things that when I do deal with groups or partners, it's like one of the first things you want to do is say, let's, how do you deal with conflict, right? And so sometimes they've come in, they've never talked about it, but I can say, well, hey, we're all in here in this room together, I guess in the Zoom room together. Mm-hmm. Like, let's have some rules of engagement. Let's have a working agreement for how we're going to engage right now. Um, sometimes it's called a, you know, a partnership alliance. There's a lot of different language around it. You use what works. But it's like one of the things is, how do you, if when things stop going well, how do you want to deal with it? And that may be the first time they've had that conversation. But, and it's safer to have it here because I'm like, I don't know how you guys deal with conflict, right? So, and I, I'm like, oh, I need to write it down in case I forget, right? I can come in as the coach and col- do a little Columbo action where you're like, oh, I don't understand. Da, da, da. And that will help you get that information. And then it helps them begin to prepare for what happens when things get raw. Because that's often what happens in coaching. Things get a little raw and you kind of have to work through it. Nice. So, Keisha, tell me a little bit about Kasia. Uh, it's Cassia Partners. Cassia yeah. Partners. So tell me a little bit about Cassia Partners. What can I expect to see at CassiaPartners.com and what can I expect to get as a service? Yeah, Cassia Partners is, um, I do some consulting and I, uh, I also mostly, my primary, my business is coaching, work with business owners, uh, some executives, but again, for the most part, and founders, for the most part, working with people who are uh, in a private business, in uh, in an ownership position, and or a very senior leadership position. So sometimes that's a solopreneur. You can be the mm-hmm. the leader of one. Um, and what I I do programs. Um, they're very intensive uh, in the beginning usually, and then we kind of spread out into more of a, a lighter touch. But I do I work with people. I do behavioral assessments. We do prioritization. We do strategy sessions. And then I have a fantastic network, kind of a team of people who I can bring in to help with things like market 
designing a marketing plan um, or even doing fraction like a fractional CFO, really depending on what people need, can kind of bring in the resources around them so that they can outsource the things that they should not be doing and the things that are quite honestly like beyond my skill set. But I'm here to help you make sure like don't go to your branding, you know, hire a brand consultant when you don't have a business yet. Like I'm so part of what I'm here to do is make sure you got a business, you know who your target market is. What are you trying to do? What's the value you create? What's your mission? Okay, now you get a brand consultant in, and they have something to work with. So that's kind of how I look at it. So I, I have a lot of partners. It's interesting. I have a lot of partners, um, even though they are, they are not partners in the traditional sense, but I partner with a lot of other service providers to really give a full service experience to the client. Absolutely. It's third-party yeah. partnerships, which are super, super important yeah. because technically they're not in your business, but they're part of your business. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to put it. Nice. So... I mean, you're as a business coach, um, we can everybody can find business coaches very easily. Not everybody can find one that has 15 years experience like you. Besides the experience, what else is that you mentioned that um, it's very intensive at the beginning? Can you explain a little bit about why or what is intensive? Well. So I'm, I do a very tailored approach. So one of the things that um, I really do is I have a big toolkit, and I, I will steal anything. You went to a workshop and they did something. I'll buy the book. I'll do the workshop. Like I will, I will try to, I am like a sponge for tools. So I have this like very large toolkit, always expanding and always refining, but I have a big toolkit. And so what I do is I, I go in and the reason it's intense at the beginning is we have to do a kind of a deep dive. It's like I said, a behavioral assessment. Mm -hmm. Got to know who you are, how you work. Um, and so that we can kind of together craft the right program. So uh, I like to kind of make sure that we just get like, you know, prioritization is like, let's get it all on the table. Like, let's get everything because people will start now. It's actually a wonderful time because they're not as busy. Um, mm. But often people will be like, well, I'm so busy. I don't have time. And it's like, well, what are you busy with? It's like, well, I have to check this person's work or I have to do that. Or I'm responding to emails and you're going through and they're busy with a whole bunch of things that they shouldn't be doing. Yes. What their issue is, they don't delegate. So now I know that we have to work on delegation and delegation. You need a lot of handholding because it's, it's, a, it's an emotional experience for a lot of clients. So they're, it's their baby, the business, and they're letting somebody else watch their baby. Even if it's just like not triple checking the billing department. So you, you know, and you're like, you have three people doing one person's job. So there's some elements to which I, at the very beginning, we often just kind of uncover a lot of things, but there are definitely clients um, as you know, I've got people where, you know, it's, Hey, you're, you're better at working on your own. So we might only talk, uh, check in a few, you know, once a week, and then we may have a bigger session once a month. Other people, that's not their strength, right? They really need to talk through things. So we might be meeting every week. Or we might do a, a mini workshop um, on site or I guess now over, over Zoom. So I try to really customize the program to make sure it suits the work style um, and the sort of behavioral strengths of the client, as well as suits their, their goals and their needs. Nice. So... Before before this situation happened with uh, uh, coronavirus, you could you or you could and you would go actually to the business uh, if if there was a need to do so. Uh, there's also the chance to do it remotely with businesses that are, for example, right here in Canada. Mm -hmm. And that's actually been a great benefit here, as I am engaging a lot more with. Um, I have clients that are not in in my geographic area, but. It would be kind of, I was, it would, I would want to, I'd be going to see them, right? So I, it would be a physical visit. And for some of them where they're very far away, that's, it was sort of inconvenient. So I wouldn't see them as much as I'd like to. And this way, I'm actually really 
honing the craft so I'm better at doing it. And one of the nice things is I'm having a lot of engagement with people who are further away. And I've been doing quite a bit of pro bono coaching to people in the business community, um, especially those in, in really hard hit industries like restaurants, to just try to make sure that people are getting some kind of support, even if it's just a half hour, an hour session with me. I'm like, you don't need to buy a package or not, but you just need to know that somebody else is out there and I'm here to help you see if I can, what I can do to help you sort of with the process and with the kind of the weight of it, but also who do I know in my network? How can I connect you with other resources? So that's something I've been doing and, and that obviously I'll, I'll talk to people in it all over and geographically to help them with that. Yes. One of the things you mentioned about the restaurant owners, that's something that we overlook not being in the business how bad it could be for them in a situation like this where yeah. they're not allowed to receive customers or the customers simply don't even want to go like yeah. do you see that they're uh, are they pivoting like doing like home deliveries or yeah i it's it's fascinating i have a i have a client who's in uh in restaurant um in pr and events and um yep they've started up a a meal delivery service and that's something where it's a question of what that'll look like on the other side. Will they continue that? If they want to continue it, how mm -hmm. are they going to go forward with it? So there's a lot of kind of very interesting stuff to be done right now because they're still weighing what is the business they want to be in long term. And one of the good things about it getting cut off, if you're going to look, it's, you know, it's terrible to have your business get cut off completely. But one of the good things is you really get a chance to go, do I want to be in this business? And I, so I think for restaurants, you're going to see people, there are people for whom they, it may have just been something they started it, they were good at it. And now they're kind of going, man, I, I, I'm, I'm tired. It's very tiring. And there are other people for whom they're like, this wasn't the right concept. I'm going to come through. So I'm really very much right now looking at the one-on-one -on -one individuals and going, you as the business person, what do you as a business person want? Okay. This, this, company name, this tax ID, this may not survive. Okay. That's always been the case though. What are you, who are you and what do you want to do as a business person? Cause you will survive. You will come out the other side and you will be stronger for it down the line. So that's really the focus that I've had with people who are coming in in really, really tough situations like that. It's let's make sure you even wanted to be in this. You really want to be in this business. And if you do, how do we build that from scratch? Let's, let's not try to think so much about salvaging what you have. If you think more about what it would it look like if I built it from scratch, you're going to see how to take whatever is left of that business still is still functioning on the other side. You're going to see how to merge it into this new vision. Nice. I actually had that experience too. One of my first businesses uh, that was not online was actually a, a restaurant in mm -hmm. Europe. And what I found mm -hmm. out after a while was that I wanted to be in business and that was my passion was the business not that business. Mm -hmm. And I found that out after. So, uh, Oh, it's brutal. It's a tough, I mean, it's, it's a really tough business. You have to love it, but there, there's other elements too. Like there's often, I think we're going to see this where there's a lot of opportunity to attract talent in a down, in a down cycle because often in restaurants and, and a lot of service businesses are like this, but all businesses, they're like, Oh, well, you know, people aren't that great. You know, 90% of our employees are great and 10% of them can't show up on time or don't do this or don't do that. And I'm like, well, if that's true of everyone, that means there's a you could have a hundred percent of your employees. Let somebody else have the extra 0.005% of the not good employees. Why don't you have a hundred percent? What does that look like? And what does it, you could have a hundred percent of good clients, right? You don't need to 
suffer through this idea that somehow we all have to absorb bad clients. So I'm also doing that kind of work with people who maybe are uh, in, in a slightly different situation, but we're looking at how do you attract the clients you want? Who do you want to do business with? Who do you want on your team when you, when you are able to open up and you start bringing back pe people who you may have laid off? Who do you want to work with? And really getting, you know, so that you can be more efficient and you can be a more functional and successful business on the other side. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Kaza, for people that want to know more, find more about your business, where, they, where can they go? Um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, and uh, that's a great place to find me. I'm spelled K-E-Z, or Z, depending on where you are, K-E-Z-I-A-H, Kezia Robinson. Um, and I'm, I'm, I may not be the only one on LinkedIn, but I'm definitely probably the first one will show up. You can also go to my website, which is www.cassia-partners.com. That's C-A-S-S-I-A-partners.com. And, uh, and just hit me up there. And uh, it, it's I'm... I'm always happy to connect with people for a few minutes, see who might be in that partnership network, um, who could help them. There you go. So for those of you that are listening, uh, Keisha may not be the only one on LinkedIn, but she's going to be the only one that has a link on the show notes of this episode. So whenever you're done driving or you got off the treadmill, check the podcast and you'll have all the links there to Facebook, LinkedIn, and KeishaPartners.com. Cassia Partners. Cassia Partners. Cassia Partners. There you go. I just make it hard on you. <laughs> yes. Gage, thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you here. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed it. It was fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for subscribing to Fail Fast Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and visit failfastpodcast.com for show notes, Quinn's social media, or even to tell us your story. <laughs>